who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Singularity by Bill DeSmet. Copyright 2004 by William H. DeSmet. All rights reserved. Chapter 36 Big Bang What could the KGB do with a time machine? Mariana's question hung in the air. For long moments, the only sound to be heard in Weathertop's great room was the anachronistic ticking of an antique brass clock. Knox's mind kept edging in toward the topic, only to skitter away again. That hollow feeling in the pit of his stomach was back. Closed time-like curves time machines, it was all a little too close to his own quantum-inspired nightmare. Meanwhile, Mariana was waiting for an answer. Too many possibilities, he said at last, after it became clear no one else was going to speak. Too many hinge points where things could have turned out different. Too many knots and elbow joints of sheer potentiality, too many snags where the veneer of everyday reality might wear thin, allowing what lay beneath to gleam through. Different how? Mariana broke in on his thoughts. Better or worse? Hmm? Oh, better for Grecian, worse for us. Give me a for instance. Knox sighed. Well, how about the 1991 putsch? The KGB's Alpha Group commandos we're supposed to detain Yeltsin at his villa the morning of the coup. Never happened somehow. But it wouldn't take much tweaking to make sure it did. And say what you will about old Boris, with him out of the picture, that takeover could have worked. Way too late in the game, she said. By the beginning of the 90s, the Soviet Union was already dead and just looking for a place to fall. A lot of people weren't so sure back in August of 91, Knox reminded her warming to the debate and grateful for the distraction. In D.C., they were bracing for another half-century of Cold War, I seem to recall. How about Lavrenti Beria? Mariana said. The old NKVD chief? Possible. He looked like a shoe-in for the premiership after Stalin died in 1953. Didn't happen, thank God. It took another three decades for the secret police to maneuver one of their own into the top slot, and even then, Andropov didn't last long enough to make much of a difference. But 
say they could fix it, so Berea did come to power in the early 50s. Give the KGB a free hand and 30 years head start, and I don't like to think about the consequences. John, remind me again why I'm supposed to want to stop tsunami from happening? It's damned if we do, damned if we don't, for sure. Literally, in his case, at least. But at least holding off on the strike keeps some options open. Speaking of which, could we make that call now? He glanced at his wrist top. There were, believe it or not, more pressing pretexts for an anxiety attack. We can play Guess the Master Plan some more afterwards. Right now, we're running up against your communications blackout deadline. You're right, Mariana said. We'll have to go with whatever we've got. She reinstalled her handheld's battery, then looked up at him again. Keep thinking about those what-ifs anyway. You never know. Knox nodded. You never know, about summed it up. On those occasions when inspiration did strike, it wasn't because he'd consciously set out to find it. If anything, it found him. John? A touch of Mariana's hand on his arm. I'm getting a busy signal on Pete's reach number. That can't be right. This is a priority patch-through. Let me listen, he said. She handed him the handset, and he put it to his ear. That's a fast busy. Means there's a trunk overload. Pete's line isn't tied up. The problem's local. Whatever cellular switch serves this area is getting hit by more traffic than it can handle. He glanced at his watch shortly after noon. It was the lunch hour spike, when everybody returned the morning's calls in hopes the other party will be out and they can just leave voicemail. But that was in Manhattan, not the backwoods of North Carolina. The cell phone density wasn't high enough around here to tie up the lines like this. And there was that DSL outage just a few minutes ago. Oh, shit. Mycroft, he said slowly. I don't think this is just a normal trunk overload. Denial of service? Mycroft looked blank for a moment, his typical reaction to one of Knox's sudden context shifts. Then his train of thought started to roll down the new track. It would be easy enough to do. John, I'm sorry, Mariana said. What is it you're saying? He turned to her and smiled grimly. It's beginning to look like we're under attack. Attack? Mariana wondered if she'd heard right. Just because the phone's busy? Not just the cell phone. The high-speed data line, too. The two systems are entirely separate. What are the odds against them both being out? It's called a denial-of-service attack, John went on. Hackers do this sort of thing all the time, against switches and Internet sites. Normally, it doesn't buy the attacker anything but bragging rights on the outlaw bulletin boards. Here, though. Here, it cuts us off from the outside world, she finished for him. And from Pete. You see the problem. What can we do? Get in the car and drive out from under? That could be a long drive, John said. No telling how wide an area they'd have blanketed if they're really serious and all the time the clock keeps ticking. But there may be another way. He turned to Mycroft. Does that satellite receiver of yours have enough juice to transmit? More than adequate for what you're thinking, Jonathan. John looked at Mariana again. That's it, then. 
We'll bypass the local switch entirely, hack the satellite uplink, and establish our own call direct from here to the ComSat transponder. You can do that? Well, Mycroft can. It's really just coding up the SS7 call setup header and wrapping it in a ComSat message envelope. Dead simple. He smiled reassuringly. Not reassuringly enough for her taste. Once more, only in English this time. Trust me, he said. It shouldn't take Mycroft more than five or ten minutes to hack. Then we'll establish your call to Pete, and you can take it from there. Uh, it's going to involve Weathertop setting up shop as an unauthorized ComSat ground station, though. I assume Crom will square things with the FCC if it comes to that? Mariana nodded numbly. Mycroft knows everything, and John can figure out the rest. So what did that leave for her to do? Find a way to get this across to Pete, that's what. She shook her head, imagining his reaction. He hadn't even wanted to hear about mini black holes, so now she was going to call him back with time machines? Phrased in standard bureaucraties, it all sounded just plain wacky. There was no way she could hope to explain it in terms Pete would understand. Would he just take her word for it? Hold off the attack at least until... Attack. There was that word again. John had used it just a moment ago to describe the problem they'd experienced getting through to Pete. She blinked. If Weathertop was under some sort of virtual attack, could a real one be far behind? She looked over to where John was sitting halfway across the room, waiting for Mycroft to finish his hack. She rose, just in time to hear a muffled roar echoing off the surrounding hills, rattling the glass of the window doors. She opened her mouth to speak. Having framed out the functionality, Knox went and sat on the sidelines while Mycroft coded it up. He tried to relax, make his mind a blank, but to no avail. Now that there was nothing to talk about, there was nothing to hold the thoughts back. Leitmotifs of relativistic physics, Siberian ethnology, Soviet political economy glided unbidden across the retina of his mind's eye, and behind them all, the void. He took a deep breath and slowly released it. Now that he wanted to turn it off, his subconscious had gone into overdrive, churning up grandfather paradoxes, pivot points in time, half-forgotten rumors, George Orwell, and where had that one come from? He looked up. Mariana was rising, turning to look out. She had just begun to say, John? When something went whoomp, and the glass doors lining the front wall of Mycroft's great room imploded. Knox felt the flash and the blast, but what imprinted itself on his memory was the warm breeze suddenly stirring his hair and the hundreds of tiny tempered glass cubes now covering his lap, as if a rock had hit the windshield of a BMW doing 190. Ears ringing, flare after images dancing before his eyes, Knox shook his head and looked around. Smoke from the rocket's near miss was pouring into Weathertop's breached great room. The black blot of a helicopter gunship hung against the noonday sky. How in hell had Grecian found them? They'd been so careful. Mariana had even filed a bogus flight plan. Mariana, where was she? Okay, she was crouching, gun drawn behind an upended marble coffee table, looking shaken, disheveled, and almost elated, as if she'd finally found a problem she could sink her teeth into. She motioned Knox and Mycroft down, then opened fire at the body-armored invaders now repelling out of the hovering gunship and into the smoke. Knox needed no invitation to take cover. He was already hunkered down behind the couch. 
Mycroft was another story. He had risen from his seat and was standing there paralyzed, eyes darting like a deer caught in the headlights. Mycroft, get down! Shit! He wasn't listening. The men outside had begun returning Mariana's fire. With a fusillade of outsized, slowly tumbling canisters, Mycroft, still a perfect target, was a good fifteen feet away. Knox took a deep breath. Keeping low as he could, he sprinted across the open space and dived. John! Knox heard Mariana's warning shout just as he slammed into the still-frozen Mycroft, and something slammed into him. He felt a sudden stab of pain in his thigh. He tried to ignore it long enough to shove Mycroft into the well of the workstation desk, then looked down. No blood, thank God. Instead, there on the floor lay the olive-drab canister that had hit him, about the size of a beer can, and pouring out clouds of bilious yellow-gray smoke. Tear gas, Mariana coughed, but Knox had already caught a whiff. He fought the reflexive gasp for breath, forced himself to exhale instead. Beside him, Mycroft was wheezing and gibbering in fear and fumbling with some sort of catch recessed into the wall behind the desk. Knox's lungs were screaming for air. He obliged them, only to gag on the acrid smoke. Stimulating the tear ducts was the least of the gas's effects. With his second breath, Knox was violently sick to his stomach. Heaving and retching, he raised his head in time to see a gas-masked figure marching toward him through the choking fumes, pointing an evil-looking gun muzzle at his heart. In the instant before the gun fired, before the void could finally claim him for its own, it came to Knox at last, what the Shadow KGB would do with the time machine. John was down. Mariana couldn't tell how bad. Too much smoke. Too much gas. Her eyes were stinging fiercely now, sinuses on fire. She tried to make out the forms of John and his attacker, but they were lost in a blur of tears. She fought down an urge to cough, lest she give away her position behind the coffee table barricade. Tear gas went straight for the mucous membranes. The only variation in physiological response was due to attitude and motivation. Mariana had plenty of both. Breathe shallow, hang on, tough it out. Maybe not for too much longer. Weathertop's climate control was smart enough to respond to the influx of noxious fumes. High-speed ventilators kicked in, sucking cool, clean, humid air in through the gaping hole in the deckside wall. Mariana watched six gas-masked raiders, wraith-like in the smoke, take up position just outside, establishing a free-fire zone covering every inch of the room. Saw the textbook perfection of their formation disarrayed as the seventh figure barged through. On he strode, a black, body-armored form, gaining solidity as he emerged into the clearing air of the great room. He stood there on the threshold, one arm in an off-white cast held stiff across his chest, the other hand clutching a machine pistol. Behind tinted assault goggles, cold black eyes tracked across the room, the pistol muzzle tracking with them, searching for something, searching for... Where is she? Yuri's shout echoed off the beams. Mariana's rudimentary Russian sufficed for most of it. Where is the little shlucha? She's mine. Mariana gauged the distance to where Yuri stood amid the flinders of Weathertop's window doors. A good twenty feet away. Too far for a takedown. Yuri would be ready this time anyway. She'd make a perfect target flying through the air at him. She took quick inventory. Nothing in the way of protective gear. Her blouse barely stopped light, much less lead. Weaponry? Only the Glock she'd taken off Compliance's lifeless body last night. And no spare magazines, damn it. One bullet left, then, if she hadn't miscounted. And judging how ineffectual the others had been against the invaders, she'd need a lucky shot to do Yuri any damage at all. Think, Mariana. 
What can take down a heavy-armed man in full body armor? Out of the corner of her eye, she caught a glimpse of a lighted screen down at the other end of the great room. The kitchen! Mycroft's words came back to her. No blades, no machines, certainly, but still a slim chance. If only John hadn't hit the reset. One way to find out. She tucked the Glock in the belt of her jeans, sprang up and sprinted the length of the room. At the last instant, she vaulted over the butcher block and into a tuck and roll that fetched her up against the kitchen range. She scrambled back on her hands and knees and peeked over the countertop, half expecting to see Yuri grinning down at her. But he was still halfway across the room, arguing with one of his black-suited friends. Looked like... Could that be Sasha? If Sasha could slow him down enough, this might have a chance of working yet. She looked up at the replicator's catalog screen, still on the same page she'd left it, thank God. She exposed a hand just long enough to tap her selection and hit enter. The prototyper acknowledged her order. She heard a liquid hiss that she hoped was the extrusion process kicking off. The console displayed a countdown. Thirty seconds. Thirty! She had maybe five at most. She had to buy more time somehow. She flung her body flat out on the countertop, arms extended, the pistol in a two-handed grip, saw Sasha moaning on the floor and Yuri advancing confidently toward her, not even troubling to use the cover afforded by Weathertop's freestanding oak pillars. Aim for the cast, the cast. He couldn't be bulletproof there. She pulled the trigger and heard the click of an empty chamber. She straightened and hurled the pistol directly at Yuri's head, then hugged the floor behind the counter again as a hail of fire tore through the space she'd just vacated. She could hear shouts coming from the other end of the room, could hear Yuri's footsteps quicken. The Georgian was pursuing his own unsanctioned agenda, and his compatriots were taking exception, but not in time to save her. She looked pleadingly at the replicator's countdown display. Come on, come on! Three, two, one, yes! The unit dinged. Heedless of the residual heat inside, she yanked the door open to see her only hope. It didn't look like much, just three small heavy spheres connected to a common center by thongs of pliable plastic. In particular, it didn't look much like the bola she'd trained with in her six-week indigenous weaponry course, but it'd have to do. She grabbed the makeshift weapon, then ducked aside just as the second volley tore into the replicator's innards. Got to remember how this works. It can't be all that hard if gauchos do it from horseback. Let's see. Right hand grasps the center point, where the three thongs come together. Left hand holds one of the balls. Deep breath, then quick, stand. And quick, one horizontal whirl of the two free weights, then uh, expel the breath and throw. Now hit the deck as the shocks board into the butcher block. Yuri must have guessed something was amiss. He hastened to close the remaining distance to his quarry. As he did, the bola spinning like a three-bladed helicopter rotor flew straight to meet him. And if she'd done it right... Yes! The whirling weights caught Yuri in mid-stride, wrapping their trailing cords around and around both legs. With his knees lashed together and no way to kill his forward momentum, the Georgian went down as if poleaxed, crashing into the floor not ten feet from where she huddled. Jarred loose by the impact, his machine pistol skittered to a halt against the ruined replicator. Extra added bonus. All of Yuri's weight had landed on his already injured arm. He howled in agony. One fewer black hat to worry about for the moment. Plenty more on the way, though. Mariana was just reaching for Yuri's machine pistol when the nets got her. Through a miasma of pain and nausea, Knox realized he was still alive. His long-term memory was missing several key minutes in there, though, and was frantically trying to spackle over the gaps with a montage of freeze frames. The black-suited invader pulling the trigger. The strangely flared gun muzzle ejecting some sort of sticky netting 
ensnaring him. A bumpy view of a burning weathertop shot as he was carried on his captor's shoulder out to the waiting Merlin and dumped unceremoniously on the copter's floor. A wave of relief as another black-clad figure deposited Mariana, cursing, kicking, wrapped in not one but two coats of adhesive webbing, alongside him. That wave of relief being followed by another wave of nausea. And then... He remembered the rest of it now. Remembered wrenching his head around to peer out the open hatch as the gunship lifted off, hovered fifty feet off the deck, and fired salvo after salvo of incendiaries. Remembered Weathertop's autonomic systems countering with fire-suppressant foam. Mycroft, looking hazy as the smoke somehow, stumbling out of the wreckage, clamoring over, or through, the fallen timbers of the erstwhile great room. A figure in black body armor, its darkness contrasting with the off-white of a badly damaged cast on one arm, standing in the hatchway, raising an automatic pistol, aiming it one-handed, firing at point-blank range. The mountains echoing the staccato gunfire, Mycroft's limp body falling backward into the rubble. Someone, Sasha, shouting in protest from the cockpit, Yuri's voice making laconic reply. Grishin gave no instructions regarding that one. Oh, God, Mycroft. I'm sorry, so sorry. Is the woman secure? Sasha's shout could barely be heard above the roar of the engine. Arkady Grigorievich did give you instructions regarding her, I believe. Yuri scowled. The medic sees to her now, the bitch. And John? Yuri reached down with his good hand and rolled Knox onto his back. Your friend has puked all over himself, he said, grinning unpleasantly. Otherwise, he is unharmed. See that he remains so. A stranger in a white coat knelt by Knox's side, rubbing at his neck with a cotton swab. The reek of alcohol, a sharp jab in the carotid, and oblivion claimed him again. Listening to Singularity by Bill DeSmet. 